Now we're going to get into Ezra. Ezra chapter 3. And um, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know the title of this series is Hope Fulfilled. That's how it would sound if there was a narrator. Hope Fulfilled. Um, Why? Because the people of Israel are coming back from where they have been exiled to. The Babylonians conquered them and they, they, they took them off into captivity. The Babylonians were taken over by another greater kingdom, the, uh, the Persians. The Persians still now have the Israelites who were taken into captivity, so they're still there. And they start returning, but they have a king who's from the line of David, so yes, but he's not quite a king because they're overruled by a nation bigger than them. They come back and there's people who claim to be Jews in the land that never went with the exiled people. And there's confusion as, do you belong to this people? Can you build the temple? I'm not sure you can. And so there's hope, there's, there's, there's disappointment there. There's lots of things where expectations were up here and you find that actually hope wasn't fulfilled. Hope wasn't fulfilled. They had such hopes, genuinely. There's a, a nation coming back home after decades, to build the house of the Lord, to say, God's going to be with us again. And, and it's not quite fulfilled. You can imagine the, the disappointment that is going to be also, you know, whilst there's celebration, and we'll come to that in a bit, there's also confusion and a bit of disappointment. Let's, let's read the verses together. It's Ezra 3, verses 8 through to 13. <laughs> Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedak, made a a beginning. Together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity, they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upwards, to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the work in the house of God. Along with the sons of Hanadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all of the people shouted with a great shout, when they praised the Lord, because the foundations of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests, the Levites, the heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, the first temple, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundations of this house being laid. Though many shouted for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. And the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. There's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot going on uh, in, in these verses. There's a lot going on in this story. These are true events. 
The Bible's not a fairy tale. These are true events. It's happened, and the people came back, and there was both celebration and, and confusion and, and, and weeping. Is hope fulfilled? We're going to break this down and, uh, and look at three major, I think, headings that we can bring out from this. Um, but I wonder, have you ever made a new beginning in your life? Or have you ever made a, a start? We read here that they made a beginning. They were intentional. They made a start. Have you ever given yourself to something? Quite... Um, as, as is our normal custom, because we are logical, intelligent beings, we decide the beginning of our new plans are usually uh, intertwined with the beginning of the new year, because that seems right. And so we do this, and we come up with New Year's resolutions, and January goes, and February goes, and for the ones who are really strong, March goes, and you've kept it, April comes, and you've, oh, no, actually, I've lost it. And because it's still fairly early on in the year, you think, I can get away with a new beginning. It might not be January, but I think I can still reasonably do that. And so you start again with a new beginning. And then, you know, and that falters and it wanes, and you decide, OK, well, I've, <laughs> that didn't work out. Uh, and because you're so far into the year, you can't possibly make a new beginning now, so you wait till next January. But we do this, and we give ourselves to it. I'm gonna, it's a new me. And some of it is really, you know, they're born out of circumstances that mean I, I, this, this has got to be new. This has got to be brand new. This has got to be different. And some of it's just new dietary plans, or I don't know what. So we make a start. For the people of Israel, this was, this was more significant than probably any of us would appreciate. This was a new beginning. Because they had been forced, ripped, taken out of their land that the Lord God had given them. And their house was there, the house of God, the temple that Solomon had built all those years before. And God dwelt in the temple. His glory fell. He was there. They knew God is with us. And they were ripped out of this land. And their temple was destroyed, absolutely destroyed. So when they returned, guess what? We're going to make a new start. And they came and they said, we're going to give ourselves to this. And so they gave themselves. And this is, this is what I want to talk to us about. From these first verses, they gave themselves. They made the beginning. They gave themselves to something new, to rebuilding the house of the Lord. For many of them, they've had plenty of time whilst they were living in Persia to to think about what, what had gone on. There's decades. Some of them were born and were now 60 and were only just maybe first wave returning back to their homeland that they'd never seen. They'd had a lot of time to think. And now they've returned. And they gave themselves. And I'm so encouraged as I look at this beautiful church, my brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in the faith, I'm so encouraged by what God's doing among us, how he's working among us. I hope you are too. I'm, I'm encouraged. I look upon faces, people that I love. You're not, you're not just empty faces to me. You're, you are my family. And, and <laughs> we should feel that. I'm encouraged by what God is doing among us. And as I shared earlier from Isaiah, I want us to be provoked. Because he wants to do more. And we'll come to that as well a bit later on. But he wants to do more. 
He wants to do more among us, friends. We can believe him for much greater things. But I'm sure you'll appreciate, um, whilst we read in earlier verses, Sam touched on it last week, the Spirit of God stirred people to return. And so those who returned to give themselves to this work were those who God's Spirit had stirred. No doubt they were men and women who wanted to go back to their land that they've heard of or remember <clears throat> from personal experience. And they wanted to say, look, this is what we're giving ourselves to, to restart, to build the house of the Lord, that God will be with us significantly again. But as you can imagine, sometimes I think we get very black and white about this. There's the goodies and the baddies. There was the people who were in or you were out. And, and as, as there will have been, there were thousands and thousands of Israelites that returned. Among them, I'm sure there were some who thought, I've lived for 30 years in Persia. My new world, the only world I've known, to be honest, and the, the, the prospect of going back to, to a landscape which is just completely unknown is a little bit daunting. I, don't, I wasn't there with the first temple. I wasn't there when the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I wasn't there then. All I know is Persia. And, and I, think I'm, I think I'm comfortable here. I'm not saying life's perfect. We, we know from last week, as Sam spoke to us, it would have been very difficult in certain ways. But the anxiety of going back to something new meant that if, you were, if, your, if your dad or your granddad was saying to the family, we're going back, you might have been riding on the coattails of him, of granddad and grandma. Maybe my, my, my provocation to us, provocation, confrontation, confrontation sounds very strong. I'm not, I can't find the word. Are you challenged? Thank you, Liz. Are you returning? on the coattails of someone else? Are you here because of some strange obligation to be here? Why are you here? And I look upon faces and people that I love, and I just want to ask us, just, let's just reflect, what are we here for? What are we here for? God wants to build his house. What are you here for? 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says this about the people of God. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, all of you, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Why are you here? Are you here to give yourself? Are you here to give yourself to the church? Because it's his family, it's his people, it's his, it's, it's, we will be reunited with the Lord Jesus one day, married to him. We are his church, his bride, his people. That's biblical language. Are you giving yourself to his bride, his, his people? Let's not have a, 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 a low view. Let's not have a low view or allow the view of his church to grow dim in our eyes. We mustn't, because it's the people of God. As, as sometimes dysfunctional as it is, and as wonderful as it is, and, uh, and it's filled with us, so it's not going to be perfect, and that's okay, but we're his. We're his. Are you going to give yourself to his church? My, my, my loving, gentle provocation, give yourself to his church. Not because we're perfect, because he loves his people. 
Give yourself to his church. Come. And let's build together. If you're new or unfamiliar or, or, or have been hurt along the way, come and let's build together. Let's talk. Let's build together. This is beautiful. It's the house of God. So we start, so we build. So they built and we will build. Verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, responsively, praising God, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, they said. For his steadfast love endures forever in Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundations of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. There's joy and disappointment. There's joy and there's real heartache, real disappointment, genuine disappointment. You see, the the people were deliberate. They were deliberate in what they did. They were deliberate as they started. So intentional, in fact. They didn't just cobble building materials from wherever. They didn't just find, you know, Fletton in Peterborough is just, it looks like you're just finding materials from wherever. They just dug pits and pits and pits to find something that looked, might be able to be made, made into a brick. This, this wasn't like that. No, they, they, they saw how the ter- first temple was laid. They saw how the, the building materials, where they were bought from, all of these things, and so they said, well, we've got to go there because that's where the finest timber is. We've got to get the finest stones, so let's ship them in and get them in from the port of Joppa, which was on the coast, obviously. <laughs> they were deliberate. They were really, really intentional with how they built these foundations. These are only foundations at this point. Not only that, but we read that they, they, they were praising and giving thanks to the Lord, singing for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The same song that was sung at the, the, at when, when David's tabernacle was established, the same song that was sung when the first temple was built. They wanted to do it right. This time, they wanted to do it right. And yet, and yet there were some who were praising, yes, We've, we've built the foundations. Look, look, the house of the Lord will be built on this. This is good. This is good news. We are going in the right direction. And yet some are weeping, genuinely weeping. I don't think Ezra is exaggerating when he says they were weeping. Why? Imagine, imagine we've done lots of imagining already, I think. Hopefully I've painted a helpful picture of what it might have looked like, but... If, if you're a Man United fan and, and uh, 
<laughs> there'll be probably lots of people in the room who are not Man United fans, no disrespect to, to those who are. Man United's football stadium is one of the most famous football stadiums in the world. If that was destroyed, I'm sure the Man United fans would mourn. Perhaps more significantly than that, there's no perhaps about it, this would be more significant. What if Mecca wasn't there for Muslims? What if that had been destroyed? I'm not making any, any, any statements, I'm just saying, imagine something that was precious to so many if it was ripped away and destroyed, which had such extraordinary weighty significance. Imagine if it was stripped from them and you were just rebuilding it. And, and, and in your lifetime, you knew what it looked like. You'd be able to say, that's not, that's not how it was meant to be. That's not quite how the first one looked like. And it matters that that's not quite. It's similar. It's very, very close. But it's not. Firstly, it's not the first one. Because that is gone. And it grieves us. And it grieved them. So absolutely understandably, there are those who are there who are thinking, this isn't, it wasn't supposed to be like this. And, 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 as, and as well as the, the materials that we've had sent to us, as well as they've been made into foundations that look good, it's not what was. For many of us, we live in the times of a now and not yet, which means we live in, and that's a paraphrase, I guess, for, for talking about the tension that we walk with as we go through life. One day it's going to be glorious. But we get tastes of beauty along the way in this journey, wonderful tastes of beauty, companionship, and all sorts of good stuff that the Lord blesses us with. And for some of us, some of those greatest memories are behind us. That's difficult. That's really, that's really difficult. And we don't forget that. We don't, that that's, that's part of who we are, and it was wonderful, and it's how the Lord dealt with us. But also the Lord would say, today's a day of favour, today's a day of salvation. I'm with you. Behold, I said, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age, Jesus said. I'm always with you. I, I am with you. I will never abandon you. These are the promises that God gives. And that doesn't mean the road ahead is always straightforward, but he, he says, I am with you. Isn't that, isn't that significant? Some of you have walked through difficult stuff, stuff I've never walked through. But we must allow that to comfort us. We must allow him to comfort our hearts. Today's a day of favour. Today's a day of salvation. I am doing and still working and will do greater things. And I am always with you. And then the celebrating bunch. <laughs> but they, you know, hope wasn't quite fulfilled. They thought hope was fulfilled. Hope wasn't fulfilled. This was the second temple because the first one's gone. But also, the, you know, okay, only the foundation of the temple had been laid, so the whole thing wasn't there yet. But the ark wasn't there. They didn't have the ark. And we'll find out in a few weeks that the glory never fell. They're celebrating, 
But they've missed it. This is not it. They've not arrived. This is not it. And yes, if we were with them, I imagine there'd be some of us who are celebrating and some of us who are mourning. But the point is that this is not it. This is not the thing. This is not the thing you have been waiting for. Don't settle. And so for some of us who, you know, this is it. Life Church, Life Church is perfect. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, laugh, <laughs> the laugh comes because I think everyone knows Life Church is not perfect. And it's true. Um, but this is not it. This is not the end result we're aiming for either. Because God would say, I'm doing a new thing. Again, Isaiah prophesies. God's going to do a new thing. And he does in Christ. He does a beautiful thing. Now, when are we living? Now, post-Christ, because of Christ, he's doing a new thing. And a new thing among his people is that his church will become more and more beautiful, more and more glorious. That's how it is in Scripture. That's how, that's how it is. So don't settle. Let's not settle, friends. Let's not settle. As, as we prayed earlier, I'm provoked. Let's not settle. Let's, because, because whilst we can be those who are celebrating, we can still be those who are eating and buying and stuff that costs money, but it's still no good. And so I want to ask you, do you want, don't you want more of him? Because they were celebrating then. Only the foundation was laid. And even that, once a, once a temple was there, that, that isn't it. It wasn't it. But now we live in a time which is different. Because he's poured out his Holy Spirit. So there is more. There is more. So we can look to a better foundation now. We can look to a better temple. We can have eyes on those things. We have a better foundation. A better temple. This is a better temple. Remarkable as it seems. As I'm sure if you were there at those days and looked at the first temple, you'd have thought, that's pretty decent. That is pretty good. They've done a good job. Do you know what? And, and that, that would have been impressive. But God says, look at my church. Look at my church. Have you seen my church? My people who I've called from all nations, grafted in to the nation of Israel, grafted in with them. This is more beautiful. We have a better foundation. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 5, I love this. He said to the Pharisees, they would have known a lot, the Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, 2,000 years ago, he said to them, something greater than the temple was here. He said to them, who just lived down the road from the temple. He said the second temple, this one that they were building. He said to them, something greater than a temple is here. Jesus was talking about himself. He is a better foundation on which the church, his temple, is built. He is a foundation that can never be crumbled. He is a foundation that can never be destroyed. He is eternal. He is glorious. He is seated in glory because he triumphed over death and sin so that we could be built into his temple. And he, he is unshakable. Isn't that glorious? We come to one. I'm, I'm saying things that you know, but isn't this glorious? 
I hope your heart's quickened by this stuff. I'm so grateful that I come to a one who is Lord of all. He's not a pocket-sized God. He's not convenient for me. He's Lord. And he is the unshakable one who is my foundation and your foundation. The one who can never be moved. And you are part of his temple that he is building. You are part of his temple. Which is why the Apostle Paul gets so animated when he talks to the church in Corinth and he says, well, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? This is how, this is how important it is. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So live for him, glorify him. And Peter, when he said, you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, Spirit of God, being made into a dwelling place for him. Brothers and sisters, we have a better foundation than the ones that were laid a thousand years ago then. We have a better foundation, and it is Jesus. We are being built into his temple by his Spirit who is poured out into our hearts. He has poured his Spirit into your heart, and the Spirit wants to do a new thing increasingly in us. He wants to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Did you know that? That's what Scripture says. He wants to do immeasurably more. Do you want more of him? Or are you settling? Friends, let's not settle for, for less. Let's not settle for less. He has so much of himself to pour into our hearts. So much. If, you, if, you, if you've come this morning and, and, you, and you live tired, you live dry, I want, to, I want to invite you. The Holy Spirit wants to refill you again. You can be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because you are the place who, which he is making into his dwelling place. I want to ask the band to, to come up and we're going to respond to these things. We're going to take communion as well at the same time as the band just uh, play in the background. I'd love us to just respond. Maybe you've come weeping, maybe you've come celebrating. I'd love us to just spend a moment with our, the great foundation, the glorious one, the holy one, the one who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, who made it possible for you to become sons and daughters of God if you put your trust in him. Spend a moment with him, the lover of your soul. And, uh, and as you do, take communion. Maybe you need to ask the Lord for some help with some things. Maybe you need to repent of some stuff. Because he's got more for us and he wants to fill us with his spirit. I'm going to pray.
Lord, we, Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you've called us. We've, you've called us sons and daughters. You've brought us into your family. Lord, we thank you for your mercy, Jesus, that you hung on the cross, bearing my shame, my guilt, my sin, for the whole world. That was no small thing. That was an extraordinary thing. You felt the full fury of God's wrath towards my evil, our evil. Lord, you felt the full fury of the Father's wrath on you, Lord Jesus, so that we might be brought in to your family. Lord, I pray, Father, I pray you'd help us as we think about this, responding to giving ourselves to your church, giving yourselves to build. Lord, I pray you would enlarge our hearts, enlarge our expectation. Lord, if we're dry and uninspired and thirsty and, and just... Lord, I pray you'd come and fill us with your spirit. Lord, I pray you'd come now. Lord, I pray that we would respond as, as we respond now. Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. Lord, we'd be satisfied in you, filled again with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.